Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us. We have a fantastic guest today. I was really excited about getting him on. His name is Patrick Rowland, and he is an improviser and performer and writer and instructor who came out of Chicago, but he is now out in Los Angeles. He also was one of the members of Three Pete, which is a very acclaimed sketch and improv comedy troupe behind things like The Blackening. He also had a very popular show at I.O. called Barack All Night, where he played Barack Obama. And he writes for The Amber Ruffin Show, who you know I love. So this was a very great get for me. Loved having him on. He's a super nice guy. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Patrick Rowland. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I've been a fan for a while now. I think we first connected on Twitter. Yeah. And I was super inspired by your story. Now, you're from Chicago. You're doing things at all the theaters in Chicago, but you ended up grinding it out in, in the comedy world landing a gig writing for one of the best shows and for one of the best people amber ruffin yes. on the amber ruffin show dream come uh, true yeah dream come true and like you know part of your story was that you were trying to grind it out but you were working at target to make ends meet and it just wasn't necessarily the world you wanted to be in no shade on that world but you know when you know what you want to do it's hard to not be doing it that's true so then you get this gig writing let's go back to your time in chicago and okay. you're at io you're at second city you're doing stuff at annoyance and you're doing sketch and improv io and and second city so you were running the whole gauntlet there yeah yeah it was one of those things of i, I took classes at first just for fun because i was at that time i was working at the post office and i hated it <laughs> i was miserable it was like working. It was just go to work, come home, smoke weed, go to sleep, get up, go to work, and just repeating that over and over again. Uh -huh. And so saw uh, a there was actually Mad TV writers were doing a show, and I was just like, I love Mad TV. Let me go see this show. And they were mm -hmm. improvising, and I was just like, What is this magic? Do they teach this in Chicago? Turns <laughs> out they do. Yeah, so, it had been for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Around when was this? 2006 2007 it was right around the time of the last writer strike not the one that just happened right. but so yeah I, it was like 2006 2007 signed up for writing classes because i thought i was going to be too shy to be on the stage and then after the writing program i took improv classes and whoo that was just like everything people used to call me weird for or like all that stuff became like strengths in improv and to have yeah. some people just enthusiastically jump on my ideas and be excited about my ideas i was just like wow and it just snowballed and next thing i know i quit the post office and i started doing this full time that's amazing 
I was just talking about this with people about how doing improv, like how all the things that uh, can make us insecure, that it's just like innately who we are, but like maybe is not, doesn't make us popular in school, gets so encouraged in improv. It does. It really does. It really is like the thing that makes you shine. Right? It's just like I found my people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you found that back in 2006. So having been there at that time, you know, to end up writing for, I mean, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but, you know, if you're in Chicago in 2006 and you're taking classes at IO and Second City, then you're mm -hmm. absolutely seeing Amber Ruffin and all these yeah. amazing greats that we love now. So when did you first see her? Oh, so this is a really fun story. And I even told Amber this after I got the job. I was doing the writing program first, like I said, and they, I believe, I think, between Barack and a Hard Place. Uh, this was a Second City review and Amber was in the cast. And like, it was like one of the first black people I saw in the cast besides Christina Anthony. And so I was just like, anytime I saw black people, cause it was so rare at that time for me to see them in the sketch and the improv world in Chicago. Right. And I was just like, oh, and we knew the cast would hang out at Old Town Ale House across the street from Second City at the end of their shows. And so the class, we all went to the ale house and just like staked out a corner and waited for them to show up and lo and behold like amber walks in with some of the cast and i walk up to her after i worked up some liquid courage and i was just like i just want to tell you, you know like i'm taking writing the writing program at second city and it was so great to see a black woman on the stage and you're amazing you're awesome okay i'll leave you alone and i tried to walk away and she wouldn't let me leave she sat there and talked to me for a good hour or so because she's just that nice just that yes, kind. she is yeah it's, it was like that was like my first experience meeting her and then like years later i helped co-found all black improv team called three pete and she was like our unofficial auntie and like just really looked out for us she's hired four out of the eight members of three pete to write on, on her show at certain points oh that's great yeah that's really cool to get to see this person that you're seeing on stage who's so amazing and so you admire them and then they befriend you and they're the coolest you know it's all it's you assume that they're going to be like nice enough and then go about their business. But when they go out of their way to show you kindness and support, it really, really lands a little deeper. Yeah. I found out with a lot of people who started out in improv, like when they make it big, quote unquote, and like they're like, you know, stars, mm -hmm. they're some of the nicest people because they know struggles that we go through. Like I met Keith Michael Key, Jordan Peele. These people, everybody, I've yet to really have a bad experience meeting an improviser who's, like, famous now and yeah. them, them being jerks. They've always been nice. Yeah. Yeah. I When I met Trevor Noah, I know he's not from the improv world, but when I met him, he was on his rise, but he was, it was, I think, a little bit before he got on Daily Show as a correspondent, and he couldn't have been nicer and he couldn't have been more encouraging and supportive. And he was the one It was, it's sort of like your Amber Ruffin story of like, he was the one who was really <laughs> not letting us go. Like, cause we yeah. were also like, we opened for him on this show and we were like, all right, I don't want to push too much or say too much. So any look, we'll always, <laughs> we were, I felt like we were always kind of giving it, him an out <laughs> and he just kept, <laughs> kept hanging and then was like, let me give you my number and let's talk. You know, it, he was, it's those stories are super inspiring almost 
or I would say as much as their work is inspiring. Yeah, true. Very much so. So you're in there, you're, you, you find your people with improv and you, I guess, overcome the shyness because you end up, you're doing so much. Uh, how did that break for you? It's, I, it's just a heightened version of myself. I'm still shy. I'm still quiet, but I like, I'll flip a switch and just become a heightened version of myself where I'm a little bit more amplified and can be social. But it was like a moment where I was at IO and I was watching this team 3033 play. And like, they were like one of my favorite improv teams. And we would have like our instructors like, you know, after shows, if there's like performers that you admire, go up to them, let them know like how you feel. And I'll just like, I used to be just like in the corner wallflower, just observing everything. And then I had to force myself and just like go yeah. over there and talk. And I did. And like, because they were so welcome. I mean, like we were saying before, so welcoming, it made it that much easier for me. And the more I did it, the more relaxed I was being a little bit more open. But yeah, I'm still a shy person. Catch me outside of this and I'll still be quiet, just observing as I remind myself to like get in there and, and talk to folks. But yeah, it did, I think the more I started performing, the more I talked to other performers, uh, I started coming out my shell and I'm not as shy. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, that's, you know, another thing that's interesting about this time period for you is that you were at all these different theaters. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how much of that was concurrent? Oh, so let's say 2006, 2007, I started taking a writing program around the end of 2007, 2008. I started doing improv at IO and at Second City. But then I started even taking like late night classes because I was still working post office. So I had some money mm -hmm. <laughs> to spend on classes. So at one point I was taking like three classes all at the same time, like wow. Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. Tuesdays, I would take two classes. So I would finish my writing program or writing class at Second City jump on the bus, take it up Clark Street to I.O., the old I.O. in Wrigleyville, and then take improv, my improv classes, then go home. So wow. I, I was like, I got really addicted to like taking classes and learning. And that's how I knew I loved this, this art form that I would like spend so much time on the north side because I was still living on the west side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I would like sometimes catch the bus up there. But I was just like, oh, I must love this if I'm like constantly going up here for hours on end, uh, yeah. taking classes and workshops. Anybody off a workshop, I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> How long were the classes? Were they two or three hours? Three hours. Wow. So to do a couple of multiple hour long classes in a night. Yeah, that's not only evidence of how much you love it, but how did you not get burnt out doing it? <laughs> like, like just from being tired I, I think it's because i loved it so much and that's yeah. how i knew it was something that was going to stick because i had tried other things before that before i was like oh i'm gonna be the first you know really famous black professional bowler so i had like the bowling balls the shoes and then like after uh, a year i was just like man i won't do this no more <laughs> i was just like okay i'm gonna write me like one of those like steamy black novels <laughs> and i started writing and i was just like man i don't want to do this then i was like all right i'm be because like deaf poet jam poetry jam was on so like i'm gonna be a, a slam poet started started writing my poems and stuff and i was just like i don't want to do this improv after like 
a year and a half, I was just like, I still want to do this. I'm still seeing shows and I'm going less and less to work and going to more and more shows and classes. So I was like, I, I think this is it. I think I found, I think I found what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's, that's, that's definitely when, when somebody's saying, yeah, I can do this for hours a day. <laughs> I mean, I've taught intensives during the summer at IO where it's like six hours a day, four days a week. And like, I was never tired. I was just yeah. like, I love it so much. I can go on and on about improv. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So you weren't even getting tired watching other people perform in a class setting. Nope. I just get excited, especially when I see that light bulb moment when they get uh, the lesson and like the excitement they get when they crush a scene. I'm, I'm like right there clapping right along with them. It, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a drug. <laughs> That's a good sign. You're a really great teacher. And I, and I don't only mean that in like the jokey way of like, cause some people be so tired of watching <laughs> improvisers do the same scene. I don't even mean that. I mean, the fact that you were getting excited about the light bulb moment shows your not only passion for improv but passion for the community the the larger community of improv oh yeah i love it love yeah it, love it. oh that's super cool while you are in these various schools there's a slight difference maybe between a couple of the schools there i know like annoyance has uh like take care of yourself and then mm -hmm. start supporting your teammate Second City, I'm a little looser on what the approach is. I.O. I'm more familiar with because very I know it's very like relationship based. Yeah. So Second City is more of like, you know how like I.O. and some of the others will say improv is the art form. Second City for a while was like improv is just a tool to generate sketch to help mm -hmm. to your writing. So I think Second City was more sketch based and like using improv to come up with the ideas that you can start creating sketch. They've, they're starting to lean in more and more to like, you know, yeah, we'll just have like some improv, but their main thing is improv is the, is a tool used as mm -hmm. opposed to it standing on its own and being its art form, its own art form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so being in all these different theaters were, were you able to sort of compartmentalize when you're at like IO, you, you play in their style, when you're at Second City, you play in their style, Annoyance in their style, or was it all just like helping you become the improviser you are and it wasn't getting in the way anywhere? I think it's a little both. I think parts of my ADHD kind of helped me where it's just like, oh, I finished with this. When I go to the new school, I'm like, ah, squirrel. And then I can focus <laughs> on that. But I think taking all those classes, I was, for some reason, it wasn't hard for me to like go from doing level A improv at Second City where it was like basic, like zip, zap, zap, zip, zap, zap. Then taking the bus up to IO where there's like, all right, two people on stage, start doing a scene. I was just like, oh, we're doing scenes already? I think it helped me be more well-rounded and my brain sometimes can be so scattered that it benefited me to like, all right, I'm not at Second City anymore. I'm at IO. My focus is here. So mm -hmm. it helped me to become more well-rounded. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think sometimes for me, if I'm in mm -hmm. uh, a you know workshop or something where the style is a little different than what I learned at the Magnet Theater, which is where I'm at in New York, it could throw yeah. me off. It's just like, I feel like I'm not as strong at it. So maybe that's more yeah. my hang up than it is like the different methodologies kind of bumping up against each other. It's more just like my ability with the methodologies. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think sometimes that can be on the, on the structure. Cause sometimes I, I, I like to formulate my classes where just about any skill level can take the same class and get something out of it. And it's a way of just like describing the exercises or the scenes that can help relate. And also just creating that atmosphere where you can let people know it's okay to ask questions if you're not getting it, or if like something's not clicking in your brain because you're so used to this other style. And that way we can open up a discussion and that can also help me as an instructor find like, well, I know the perfect exercise that can like meld both of these and ease you into this different philosophy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's how you find a way for people of different experience levels to all get something out of it. It's, yeah. it's basically speaking to the person in the moment. Yeah. And it's like, cause I remember taking a lot of classes, much as I loved my instructors, there'd be sometimes I would get instructors where I would do a scene and I know the scene suck. And like, I'm waiting to get some, some kind of feedback, some kind of note. And they're just like, all right, good. Two more up. And I'm just like, no, I, that suck. Why did it suck? I want to get better. Uh, I kind of lean more towards the instructors who are, were a little bit more brutally honest, uh, with me because I wanted to grow as a performer and I can't grow if I'm not like finding out why this scene sucked and like to have the performers that allowed me to fail in class and then like, let me know why that failed, mm -hmm. uh, and gave me tips on like how to do it better. Like I found that more beneficial than just being super nice and not wanting to not say hurt somebody's feelings, but not give them the honest note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get what you mean. I, I've definitely had experiences where someone was creating a safe space <laughs> to the point <laughs> that they weren't pointing out what made a scene not work or make a set fall off the yeah. rails or, or just like, how, however we've like lost our footing and things got thrown off. You do need that. It's, it's an art form. It's, it's not maybe yeah. as strict as certain art forms, but it's still something you can improve at with guidance. So you can't just go like, ah, they'll figure it out. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, and I don't also say like, I don't mean for like instructors to be like that guy from whiplash, like throwing chairs at people as well. Right, like, right. Some, there are some structures that can go overboard, but Right. Fine. I like to do a compliment sandwich of like, oh yeah, that was a really good initiation. Hey, I noticed you like overtalked this person, steamrolled this person, or you made a decision to make the woman a stripper. Let's discuss that and not make it seem like, oh, you, you, you suck. Uh, right. Uh, a mean way. So it's a lot of, for lack of a better word, ignorance forward. Because even I always give an example. I was always the only black person in my classes, which means I was made a slave a lot of times, a gang member. Or people trying to figure out why is this black person playing Abraham Lincoln? Okay, I'll just call him Black Abraham Lincoln. And I was just like, I'm just Abraham Lincoln, right? <laughs> yeah. And just finding ways to like give that compliment sandwich where it's like, here's something you feel good about. Here's something you can work on. And here's another compliment. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is, I think, a really important thing. Like you, you bring up something that's, a, I think, a really important thing that people doing improv need to recognize is that who's standing in front of you is playing a role. They can be anyone in that scene. Mm -hmm. And so often you see someone who's in a scene with someone who's over 60. So they automatically make them grandma or, yeah. you know, they ought like you said, they make the black person automatically as a slave or something like that, or they can't be something other than yeah. the black person they are, or, Oh, this woman, well, it has to be my mom cook, cooking in the kitchen. It's like, 
Well, also, she could be the president of the United States. This person in front of you can be anybody. So don't only see who they are as they walk yeah. around in the world. Yeah, it's like I try to teach students. I want you to see the character that the person's playing, not the actor behind the character. Yeah, and in so much, I, I know there's some thought that I've really only heard out of the Chicago improv scene of picking up on like heat and weight and the vibe that you're getting from the person. And that's mm -hmm. devoid of their flesh or yeah. their humanness, you know, like wherever they are in life. It's that's more about like, what is the energy? And let me speak to that and try to define that a little bit more. True. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that case, anyone can be anybody. So there's oh, no yeah. reason to, to, to like force it. So as I've mentioned a few times, you've, you've done a ton, like you've got uh, a number of sketches and video pieces out there. You had your own sketch show. Yes. And you also were involved with the blackening, the original show that ended up becoming the movie. Yeah. You also had a, was it like a late night talk show to call Barack all night? Or is that more of a yeah. sketch? It was a, it was a late night talk show. I ran it for like six months at IO theater midnights on Saturdays for like six months. I had musical guests, I had standups, and then I would have like some, I would have improvisers come in and do like celebrity impersonations. I would have somebody come in as Batman, as Jason Voorhees, as <laughs> Joe Biden, like just different characters to interview. It was, I, I loved it. I'm, I, I need to do that too. <laughs> the idea of Barack Obama interviewing Jason Voorhees. <laughs> it's so funny to me. <laughs> so when these sort of opportunities started coming up, like, like, was it just born of, well, you were doing everything at once at the beginning. So you just kept doing all these different endeavors. A lot of them, it was just like circumstances kind mm -hmm. of like led me to different things. So the whole Barack All Night thing came about because I had did a showcase for SNL and I didn't get picked to like, you know, get flown out for the screen taste test at that point. When I didn't, I felt like I felt shitty. I was just like, no, nah, man, that was that was my opportunity. And I was just like, I, I, I refocused and I was just like, well, I've been really digging late night TV. I just took a late night writing class, but I was just like, you know what, I'm going to pivot. And I really started finding out like, oh, I can do Barack's voice really well. So I was just like, what if he had his own late night talk show? So I, I, I just pivot and it's like, I'm going to take a break from sketch kind of and improv and do this. But it turned out it was kind of like I could do both in that late night talk show. So I would improvise the interviews, but I would also like write the monologue jokes and like sometimes write little sketches for it. So it was like a great way to encompass variety of different types of comedy right how much writing of late night stuff had you been doing by that point because i know you had taken that class so yeah that you would have learned maybe in that class how to write monologue jokes but had you been doing much of that before that i did nothing uh <laughs> close to that it was more i was writing solo shows i'm writing a lot of solo sketch stuff because you know, like in that world, like, oh, let's get a group together. We're going to write a show. But then like trying to wrangle everybody's schedule, I'll just like, uh, it's too much. I'm just going to start just writing my own shit so I can just start putting stuff out there right now. But by then I wasn't really doing anything late night writing. I was figuring it out as I was doing the show. That's amazing. You're throwing yourself in head first. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So the blackening, such mm-hmm. a funny idea. Was that a sketch or was that a regular show? So the blackening was originally written by uh, one of the three P members, Dwayne Perkins. He originally wrote it for uh, a second city show. And I believe it was like just a two person sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Comedy Central came to three P asking us to pitch sketch ideas, that was, he, he, he repitched it. He was just like, oh, I did this sketch, the blackening. And all we did was kind of, he wrote the majority of it and we would chime in with like, you know, our different characters. We got to like add that to make it from a two person sketch. to I think it was like eight of us. Okay. And we kind of like all worked on like tightening it up with the help of Comedy Central to get that out. But that was mostly, that was Dwayne's baby that he brought in. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm wondering with all these different things that you're doing, and the different things you're getting exposed to that we've talked about by this mm. point, what comedic philosophy manifested from all of that? Like, what was what became your approach to writing sketch and to doing improv? So I would always get the note of, we want to hear your voice. We want to see you. We want to hear your voice. And I was like, what the hell do you mean, my voice, my voice? What do you mean? This is my voice. I'm writing it. It's my voice. But I started slowly figuring out Especially after I kind of felt uh, I got snubbed by Second City, but like everybody feels like we're chasing that carrot, trying to be on their resonant stages. And I got like, I had a meeting that didn't go well and I was pissed. So I just wrote a whole solo show called Why Don't You Like Me? And it was just like different characters who weren't liked for a certain reason. So like I, I did Barack Obama because I think he had just got elected. And like people were like, it wasn't in his first hundred days. And there was like, where's the change? What nothing's everything seems like give the man a chance. So I wrote like that sketch. I think I wrote a sketch where I was Stedman Graham, uh <laughs> based off of me. And like when I did that, it went over so well. And that that led to me doing some of the SNL showcases. And that's when I started discovering my voice of like. Oh, I like sometimes the morbid humor. I love like topical political stuff. And I love like satirizing and doing parodies of things. And like, I've like, that was like my strong suit. And that's when I started finding out like what I found funny and what mattered to me and my opinions. And I was just like, oh, that's what they meant by your voice, your point of view, how you see the world, what's your opinions on this topic or that topic. And then finding that comedic twist to, bring it across so like any sketch or write, even if it's a sketch about farting there's some some meaning behind it and i think that's what makes a lot of more your top writers stand out a little bit more because they're speaking from their own point of view instead of trying to mimic a, a certain style or a certain celebrity or something like that mm-hmm. right right exactly you mentioned the snl reviews and i know that you didn't you a here somehow on the show like I, I think i saw that in my research it said what did i see was it under if what well i saw it somewhere so but you have not been on the show no i got flown out to do a screen test uh, i see okay back in 2013 but i didn't get hired for it yeah okay I several showcases at io and then i think like i did six or seven showcases in this that last showcase, they were like, oh, we'll fly them out. And I was just like, that's it. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough break. There was something I read that was like on SNL. I was like, huh? When oh. was he on SNL? I haven't heard this. Yeah, I'd um, like to know that too. 
let's catch us up to when you end up getting the gig at Amber Ruffin show. Had you moved to New York or were you still in Chicago? No, at that point I moved to LA. My mm-hmm. wife got a job out in California and she was asking me like, Hey, would you be up to moving to LA? I was just like, yeah. Cause at that point too, I felt like I hit the ceiling of what I could do in Chicago. I've studied everywhere I wanted to study. I, I felt like I wasn't going to like hit like the main stage or anything at second city. So I was kind of like spinning my tires of like, I was teaching there. And at that point too, three Pete wasn't doing our weekly show because some people moved to New York, some people moved to LA. So I was just mm-hmm. like, time to go. So I moved to LA and it was 2018, November, 2018, started teaching out here. And then good old pandemic hit and like everything shut down. And I think that was another pivot for me to like, I needed a creative outlet. That's when I started doing the Patrick Rowland sketch show and just filming sketches on my iPhone and teaching myself how to edit and do green screen and just like just something to put out there. And then I would start writing monologue jokes and then picking what I thought were the best ones and throw them on social media just to like get a creative outlet. And I think that sustained me. And I think that prepared me for when Amber sent me an email asking if I wanted to submit a packet for her show. And I also have been submitting packets to different late night writing shows, Colbert, Fallon, John Stewart, anybody that had a late night talk show, I was like, eh, please. <laughs> yeah. I heard about them needing packets. Okay. And so she reached out because she remembered you or did she? Okay, cool. And then. Yeah. This, this is the amazing person Amber is. Even a year before that, she sent three Pete an email saying like, I get hit up by a lot of people asking me if I know any black writers. So please send me like writing samples, all of that stuff so I can submit you for things. And then when she got her show, she originally hired Dwayne Perkins and Shantira Jackson to write on the show. And then started like blowing up and getting other opportunities and had to move on. And then that's when she reached out to me. <laughs> yeah, it's such a nice story because you clearly had done the work. <laughs> you were clearly good. And it, it does suck when you hit that ceiling and it's like, well, what's going to be it for me? What's what's going to happen? And then to get that opportunity is is Awesome. Now, did I read correctly that Amber Ruffin's show is basically only coming back on like a special edition basis? That's what the story is. Um, it's been weird because it's been a year now when we've been like on hiatus. We're not canceled. We're not renewed. And right when like we were supposed to start like doing like little specials here and there, but then the strikes happen and that uh, kind of yeah. put out okay, uh, yeah. everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Right. But uh, what are you doing out in L.A. now? Oh, teaching. I started teaching how to write for late night TV classes online. I teach at Westside Comedy Theater. I teach improv over there. Just supplementing my income and writing and getting packets ready and submitting and trying to get the next thing. So, yeah, yeah, it's that cycle. What advice would you give people who want to work in the industry, you know, whether that's writing for a late night show or just, you know, maybe acting or maybe teaching improv, like what, what sort of advice would you give? Well, first take classes. (laughs) If if you've already taken classes, get on stage and start putting out content, just start creating a network. That's one of the biggest things I've had agents and managers was off of my own work, networking and talking to people and establishing relationships and 
constantly checking in with people like, hey, just wanted to say hi. Just let them know, like, I'm still here, right? Because I found sometimes when you're on people's radar and you stay on their radars, when opportunities present themselves, they'll go like, oh, yeah, I just talked to Patrick. Let me, let me see what he's up to. Maybe he'll right. be perfect for this. So I think a lot of it is networking and just talking to people, which for me as the shy introvert was just like, ah, kill me now. I got to talk to people. It's still like <laughs> the hardest thing for me to do. Even when I'm at like functions, my wife will be like, you know, nudging me like, go, go network, go talk to folks. You don't have to talk about industry stuff, but like strike up a conversation, establish a relationship, pop contact information, get their social media uh, contacts and just keep reaching out. And even like in my late night class, I'll teach people. This is a freebie for y'all listening to podcasts. Uh, otherwise, take my class. But I started like following, I will look up the writers of different late night talk shows, start following them, start following the host, start following the show itself, comment on some of the things like their comp, their, their post, because you start popping up their news feed. So yeah, networking, oh, network, network, network. Yeah. What sort of stuff do you say when you reach out to somebody to just sort of stay on their radar? Are you just, you know, because like, so many examples that we see online don't sound like uh, human interaction. Yeah, I <laughs> usually I'll try to like I if I'm at a function, I meet somebody, I'll follow them. And like every once in a while, if I see them pop, pop up in, in the news or news story, I was just like, hey, congrats on getting this role or hey, I just wanted to drop in, check on you, see how you're doing. Want to say hi. Great meeting you. Like little softball stuff like that. It's not like, you know. Hey, I met you at this party two months ago. Give me a job. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Sometimes you'll see some some list of like how to network, and it's very obvious that the person was just gripping for straws to fit, like finish the piece. And so their their examples will be something. It's like no one talks like this. Like no one, no, <laughs> no one says like forces. Like what are you working on now? It's like I don't know. It gets to be a little too forced Here. in some of these situations. It is. And I, I would get that, like, when I announced that I was hired for that rougher show, all of a sudden, in my DMs, people hit me up. People that I used to work with, all of a sudden, it was like, I knew you could do it. It was like, no, you didn't. Matter of fact, you made fun of me for quitting the post office for that. You're like, you stupid for quitting post office. This is a good job. Which it was. But also, I was... But when other people, oh, I got a great idea for this skit. I was like, great. Write it up yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, how how well you know the person too, like how familiar you are with them. It's like if somebody you're basically an acquaintance or a stranger, don't go in like with industry shit. Like, yeah, treat like a human. Like, hey, how you doing? Like, I saw this piece you did. Just want to say good job or something like that. But going in just full steam can like turn people away. And some people are, some people are nice. I've had students that have cold contacted folks and then next thing i know they got hired for their show but yeah. it's it's whether you want to take that chance or not it's up to you right yeah that's a good point well we've reached the end of the episode yeah. it's time to create something together so i did in my stand-up for a while i did an impression of barack obama so okay. maybe i could be barack obama coming on barack all night okay and we could do a barack Having a conversation with Barack. I love this. All right, cool. All right, so uh, welcome back to Barack All Night. Uh, so happy uh, that you're here. This next guest is uh, a close personal friend of mine. 
you might recognize him. Uh, he's also from president, uh, and he, might I say, is quite handsome. Please welcome the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me so much, Barack. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's so nice to uh, have somebody of your intellect on this show. Oh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's good to hear that. There's not as many people. When I look at some of these shows, watch some of these shows with Michelle, uh, you know, uh, not, not as many people as intellectual as you. And I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you right back. Uh, now, we've been, uh, we've, uh, we're both kind of retired. Uh, mm -hmm. And I gotta say, for me, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying my life. I feel like a, a black Benjamin Button. I'm aging in reverse. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. Uh, we we don't have to do uh, that the weird sleeping schedule that they uh, put us on. <laughs> and uh, you know, people forgot black don't crack. They don't. Uh, <laughs> Barack no crack. I'll go with that. Obama. There's no drama in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely not. None of it. Now, now uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, we've uh, got shows on Netflix and uh, we're starting to dabble a little bit into television. Uh, I was thinking mm -hmm. about maybe maybe we should uh, do a little bit of stand up. So I've been working on some jokes. Uh, OK, so I want to try one out on you. Uh, yeah, hit me. Hit me uh, you know, Barack or knock knock jokes. I call these Barack knock jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love them. Love it. Here we go. Uh, Barack Knock. Who's there? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was murdered by. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein was uh, murdered by who? That's what I want to know. Oh, that's the good one. Uh, one more. Uh, Barack Knock. Uh, who's there? Mitt Romney. Uh, Mitt Romney who? Exactly. Nobody's paying attention anymore. <laughs> I know. Oh, we got him good. He, he he actually thought he was going to win. He really he did. Yeah, and I love that one point during the debate. He thought he had me on something, uh, and he didn't. And I was just like, no, continue. He thought he had me, and he didn't. And it was it was great. Can't believe he sat there on election night, actually like he was going to win, thinking he was going to win. Disappointed when he didn't. Like, come on, man. Yeah, well, it was a lot. He's like, I really want to be your president. Oh, well, sad, sad, too bad. Yeah, you know, but of course, uh, I would take him over Trump. Anyway. Oh. Uh, one thing I found about America is like they that's how much they didn't <laughs> like some of them didn't want me to be president. They yeah. like go to the nth degree <laughs> and they that opposite. <laughs> they are going backwards as they move forward. Yeah, don't make no sense. Don't make no kind of sense. Not my not my problem more. Um, I'm just I'm just chilling. Gonna rock the red carpet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, uh, what 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 are we doing uh this the this summer? What's the what's the vacation looking like for you? Oh, I don't know. Uh maybe a little bit of Hawaii. Ah, uh, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll uh, hit up a billionaire and uh take a take a rocket to outer space. Well that's that's exactly what they want, isn't it? They want us out of here. <laughs> uh I've been actually secretly working on a, a spacecraft with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Gonna thank all the black people. Off Earth, so we can find another place. Oh. Sign Call me up. Harlem Renaissance. SS Harlem Renaissance. 
There it is. <laughs> Weed replicator. <laughs> Patrick, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And thanks for having me. This was great. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do this. <laughs> right. rocks. I think, um, hello, TV. I think we got a new show. <laughs> Hit us up. <laughs> dueling barracks when patrick agreed to come on the podcast i thought to myself i hope he does this and i'm so glad he did that was so fun coming up in late march patrick's writing for late night tv and sketch writing classes will be underway you can find out info on that on the late night writing classes tab on his website patrickroland.net also follow him on twitter at patrickroland3 Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to ThereItIsPod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 